0: totally football show totally into the 20s today jose book for sneaking a look at tablet belonging to idiot ipad out intro using the classic takes one to no one burn elsewhere pearson's hornets prove they're no ostriches by flying up the table there's claret all over the place as grealish decides the battle of the burgundy adjacent strugglers carlo comes a cropper against his pal pep Moyes enjoys his new boys bashing bournemouth and we try to get ourselves up for the cup all that and more in this totally football show in association with paddy power Hey, listener, what a joy it is to be worming our way into your ear canals in this brand new decade. Rest assured it will be the same old, same old from your totally friends between now and the time when the show becomes unprofitable. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, taking class one last time before the Headmaster returns next week. I've got three star pupils alongside me today. First up, because every football podcast must include at least one mention of The Athletic from The Athletic, also author of The Mixer, which I'm ashamed to say I haven't read, and Zonal Marking, which I very much have, and you should too. It's only Michael Cox.
1: Hi, Matt. Thanks for that introduction. Uh, You're very welcome.
0: Next, because every podcast must include at least two mentions of The Athletic, he's been kept captive at MKM Towers since Monday, old duck name himself, Chirpsing's Karl Anker. Honk, honk. (laughs) And last but not least, from... The offside rule, BBC Final Score, Premier League Productions, PL on Prime and the West Midlands is Lindsay Hooper.
2: Ah, Happy New Year.
0: Happy New Year to you too. Um, before we talk about the nuts and bolts of what happened on New Year's Day, I'm interested in how we consumed the action. Uh, Lindsay, I know you were at a championship game. Every Premier League game available live in the UK on BT Sport. Carl, you were sofa bound. How many games did you make it through? Did you go for their score thing or just watch
3: matches? Score thing and uh, I did watch the entirety of Manchester United-Arsenal and really regretted it. Oh God, what a hangover that was. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Michael, this is kind of going to be
0: the future for football in this country before too long, you would assume?
1: Probably. Personally, I hope that uh, we don't get the Saturday kind of just completely taken over by football. I quite like the 3pm blackout, the reasons for it, and I still think it serves a purpose. The amount of money that people pay for football these days it is quite extraordinary. I think only about 50% of the games are live uh, on any given weekend. So, yeah, you suspect this will be the, uh, the future. You did the PL on
0: Prime, Lindsay, Mm. for Amazon. Were they pretty happy with how that went and sort of viewing figures and stuff?
2: I think so, yeah. The feedback across the board has been really good. Um, It is a way that people want to watch football. As Michael touched on as well, the the fact that you can actually, as someone who watches and consumes the Premier League abroad, watch more live matches than you can in this country sometimes. I know that from working directly for the Premier League and their their coverage abroad. I think that does need addressing. I I agree, though, that the three o'clock blackout, there are good reasons for that being there. Uh, But you can't really see past this being the way forward. BT now have followed suit and done it on their New Year's Day coverage. But yeah, to be able to choose which game you want to watch and not only that radio followed as well. I think you might have noticed that TalkSport did a commentary for every single game on their app. It has to be evolving to match what everybody wants nowadays, which is the choice. They want to choose what they do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And more work for commentators is always a good it's thing.
2: It's always a good thing, isn't <laughs> it, man?
0: <Mark? laughs> All right, let's get to the specifics. Our first port of call is the Emirates. <laughs> You're listening to the Totally
4: Football Show in association with Paddy Power.
5: Puts it with pace to Hayward with Lee Fletcher. They're smashed in by Socrates. 2-0 to Arsenal. And a scoreline that they deserve based on how
3: well they played in the first half.
0: So Arsenal 2, Manchester United 0, Arsenal's first Premier League win at home for nearly three months, courtesy of goals from Pepe and Sokratis. Michael, did, did the Gunners learn lessons from the Chelsea game or did they just face a toothless opponent?
1: I don't know if they necessarily learned lessons. I think they played really well against Chelsea and it was really just that one goalkeeping error that, that turned the game. Maybe they lost their heads slightly at 1-0 and went chasing when they shouldn't have. But I thought they pretty much played in the same way. And as you say, Manchester United aren't as organised as Chelsea. They're not as good a side as Chelsea. And I thought Arsenal were, were fairly comfortable, really. I thought the there maybe was a similarity in the, the last 20 minutes, maybe slightly got away for Arsenal. Uh, away from Arsenal I should say and it was a very ragged game by the end it just looked like all the players were knackered after the Christmas period and you had Arsenal playing at one point that seemed almost like a 4-4-0-0-0-2 formation with just a massive gaping hole in the midfield and it was funny because a few people have been saying with um, you know the VAR and offside do we still need the offside rule And it's like, well, obviously, because it kind of creates what football is. But at times during that second half, it was like there was no offside. Play was so stretched. But yeah, I thought Arsenal were were excellent again and and, yeah, thoroughly deserved the win. Uh, Lindsay we touched a bit on Monday about how Mikel
0: Arteta has changed Arsenal tactically. Obviously it's in style at the moment to get a former player below the age of whatever 45 and put him in charge, but there are early signs that it's not like a Solskjaer thing of hey we'll rouse the troops and have a few good results. Yeah. They are actually changing the way they play quite quite noticeably.
2: They are, and I was at his very first press conference after he was unveiled as the new manager and he was very resolute that he knew exactly what he needed to do. He'd identified what problems Arsenal had and that he He knew he could actually get things going well. I don't think he thought he would get the sort of performances so quickly that he has. Um, What I find baffling is this hunger that suddenly seems to be throughout this Arsenal side that wasn't there before. Because it doesn't matter how much of a professional you are. You think, well, if you're given 100% of what you've got, what did they have before? They didn't seem to have very much at all. So were they being overworked by Emery? They're talking about if anyone saw that post-match interview with David Louise, it was very telling because he was talking about the players now having fun, being happy, having a better night's sleep. It's all very cryptic. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that Arteta was the, was the man that was going to bring some passion back. Um, but I didn't realise that he was going to have such an instant effect.
0: Kyle, you're my friend, but one of my favourite things is watching your Twitter timeline when Man United lose and there was quite an amusing breakdown from you um, during and, and after the game. We, we, Well, I posited on Monday that maybe we should give them some credit for, for beating moderate opposition, but th- this was back to, to the struggles that we've seen
3: for most of the season, really. If Manchester United have no space for the inter- attacking transition to play in behind, they have no real idea what to do. Yeah. Michael, you've written a piece about how every top six team is best defined by the person who plays in number six as like the defensive midfielder of sorts. So, Jorginho for Chelsea and for Arsenal, the, you know, the stand-up performer was Torera and how he broke up the play and constantly regulated stuff.
2: There, so, there is definitely something in that and I know, I know we're talking Arsenal-Man United but I would also arrow that at Spurs at the moment as well and they really lack that, that player right now.
3: So, you look at Manchester United and you've got a midfield pivot of Nemanja Matic who has not been fit for purpose for Manchester United since... More or less, part way through his first season, and Fred, who I want to believe Fred will come good, but needs a better midfield partner, needs a clearer, more distinct role as what he's doing. So, United shouldn't were,
2: take free kicks.
3: <laughs> absolutely not. So United were just a mess. you were seeing things where like Wamba Saka was going. Do I overlap? Do I do I stay in my position here? What do I do? Harry Maguire had a very very poor game. I think it was being dragged that position wide two or three times. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's game management and his when he uses his substitutions, has always been a very weird... This is a big weakness of yours. And that came to the fore as well. Manchester United were very poor in that game. And I've said this before on numerous times I've been on this podcast, but when does the director of football arrive?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of the substitutions, there's a, a big contrast from what Lampard did. Obviously, Lampard made a very early change bringing Jorginho on and to a certain extent that changed the game. It was a funny one, that Chelsea substitution because Jorginho could have got sent off so it could have cost them the game and ended up uh, getting him back in it. But I thought United were in a similar situation where from a very early stage, once they went behind, Lingard is a very good counter-attacking runner but against a deep defence, he doesn't really offer much and I thought that was a time to make an early substitution. Maybe not first half, but half-time was really, you know, I think... Uh, Yeah, I was amazed that United came back with the same side for the second half because I think their task had had really changed compared to how they expected to play, which was, you know, soak up some pressure and and play on the break, which wasn't possible anymore.
0: Uh, Mark Magazi tweeted as Wan-Bissaka will never have the attacking tools to be a fullback for an elite team.
1: His future is as a very good centre half. Do you see that? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he does become a centre-back a centre one day. But, I mean, against Newcastle, he, he got that assist for Rashford's far post header with a good little dribble and a hang-up to the back post. I mean, it's a tough position to play full-back because you've really got to be an all-rounder. You've got to be excellent defensively and excellent going forward. And at that age, I don't think anyone is complete. Alexander Arnold we're talking about is, is one of the best uh, fullbacks in the world, maybe the best right back in the world. But he's the opposite. He's, he still makes defensive lapses. So, I mean, he's a young guy. He's, he's hopefully going to improve. He hasn't been at a big club for a long time. Um, with respect, he, he probably hasn't, well, he certainly hasn't worked under kind of an elite manager so far. So, yeah, I wouldn't be writing him off as a right-back just now.
2: And the difference being as well with Trent Alexander-Arnold is that he's got Virgil van Dijk as backup. So those defensive duties when he's tracking back, and I think that's very much um, at the forefront of wan mind is that he's got those defensive duties first before he can really push on. Um, and that's because he doesn't have the backup. I, I agree with you. I thought Maguire really went missing, actually, Carl, in that in that game. And I I, I don't think this this defensive line for Manchester United is quite at it yet.
3: It's odd that if we want to talk about fullback performances for Manchester United, Juan Bissacco is not the be all and end all because Luke Shaw had a torrid time. Nicolas Pepe had them on toast. He was the player of the season last season. Ouch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Somehow, United stay fifth. They're five points off fourth place, Chelsea. Arsenal up to the dizzying heights of tenth. Lastly, on this game, Carl Pogba watch. Ollie's at the wheel and he's chucked Pogba under the bus this morning by saying his people have told him that he needs to have an operation which is going to keep him out for a while. Um, it's just the the beginning of the exit strategy.
3: I was really. very confused by that and I was very confused it became sort of a story of his people. Plenty of Premier League players have their own medical team and personal trainers. On the reverse, we lord players when they're you know, doing really well. Oh, and you know how Kevin LeBron is doing really well because he's got his own personal chef and his own personal trainer. So the idea that Pogba has his own people and his people are saying, eh, maybe you shouldn't do this when he's been injured partway through this season because he played with a fractured foot against Rochdale. Yeah, get a second opinion, especially from what we know is apparently Manchester United's medical team has not is no longer a leading force in the Premier League and sort of fell into disrepair in the last stage of Alex Ferguson's thing. If you think his people is enough of a distraction from Ole Gunnar has terrible in-game management, and the fact that he's not fit for purpose as Manchester United manager, why? No, no, it's just the smokescreen. Focus on where is the director of football? I was told I was getting a director of football. Where is he? He's Santa not here didn't yet.
2: come for you this year, I'm sorry.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's been a year. A joke football club run by clowns
2: all right don't signing, hold back the,
1: the signings they made in the summer I think were actually pretty good you know uh, wan has done all right despite this criticism uh, Maguire's done okay I, I just think really the, the problem at the moment is the lack of coaching I just don't see any ideas with the players on the pitch
2: and and I wasn't the biggest fan of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer coming into that job and thinking that he would do well long term I thought he was going to be more of a short term fix so when he got the renewal of the contract I, I was completely surprised by that but there are certain players that are getting better under him you mentioned Fred Fred has improved under Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's regime so there are there are examples of players getting better I just think it's probably the level at Manchester United when you see teams around you as well now with Everton getting Ancelotti Arsenal Arteta they're picking up Spurs have Mourinho uh, you, you have to be matching them or going better and and it doesn't feel like it's a club even though Oli said it for the, for the 2020s coming that it's a great decade ahead I can't quite see that yet
3: Pochettino is right there he's going
0: somewhere probably in the summer um, speaking of Pochettino two of his old clubs went head to head at St Mary Southampton beating Tottenham by a goal to nil uh, some players decline with age for Southampton's main man though it seems Ings can only improve uh, he got the winning goal here uh, Carl we, we've spoken about Danny Ings quite a lot lately who else Southampton why should we be praising at the moment <laughs>
2: I'm so pleased we're talking about someone else. I've done a piece to Canberra like, about Danny Ings about 10 times this season. Every goal he gets, I think.
0: He's got 10 other players around him, right? Ward Prowse, has he been good at playing? Ward like...
3: Prowse has been, has been much improved since he's moved from uh, right wing to central midfield. So he's now working this pivot with uh, Pierre Heuberg. They're breaking up play. It's nominally Ward Prowse playing as the eight and Heuberg as the six, but they're more or less both playing as box to box. So constantly doing one-twos and trying to get forward. I said before with like a look left and look right that Ward Prowse is a really good snide. He's a really good snide, and I should probably stop saying it because it's getting obvious that he's really good at winding up opponents. Um, his breaking up of the play has been quite um, dark arts esque. I would also say Jack Stevens has really come in. He's not regarded by many as being the best centre back at Southampton. Uh, one uh, source close to the club after 9 0 told me along the lines of if Jack Stevens played every single game for Southampton, Southampton will get relegated. But what has become very clear is Jack Stevens is the centre back who talks. And tells everyone where to stand, man on, left and right. And it's that really, really simple thing. He's got the best passing range out of all their defenders. Has really, really Armstrong, helped.
2: Do you not think Armstrong as well? Armstrong's been really good, I thought.
3: Armstrong's a really interesting steady Eddie. So, sort of in the victories against Chelsea and in against Spurs now, what he does is he plays on the right. He adds a little bit more balance because Tassel wants to have all these attacking players go forward and, and score loads of breakup play. And what you've got is Armstrong going, oh, actually, I'll track back. So they're not so vulnerable on the counter attack. So. They're getting better. I predicted at the start of the season they'd finish 12th and now they're 12th.
0: All right, season finished now. You'd be right. Uh, Spurs-wise... We're abhorrent. Okay. Michael, I feel like it's kind of meet the new Jose, same as the old Jose. We had those few weeks of charm offensive, but he he doesn't seem to do anything radically tactically uh, different. Few defeats since he's been in charge. It's not exactly going
1: brilliantly and now he's moaning at goalkeeping coaches and taking yellow cards for abusing idiots. I think it must be quite depressing actually to be a Tottenham fan because there hasn't been that immediate improvement and I'm not sure Mourinho's a manager really they want to get behind as a as a person as as they certainly did with Pochettino at some point I, I think it's some familiar problems for Mourinho teams they are quite slow in terms of how they move the ball from central midfield Winks has played some good passes but uh, aside from that I find them quite pedestrian and yeah it was just a you know another performance that really lacked anything to to recommend it to be honest from from front to back they, they haven't defended well either which is obviously a thing you would generally associate with the Mourinho side so yeah quite worrying all, all told And Lindsay, Harry Kane pulled his hamstring, so one would expect he'll be out for a while.
0: They haven't really got any backup, so Jose is going to be asking Daniel Levy to open his chequebook, which (laughs) is not the easiest thing to do, but then surely need to make a couple of signings.
2: Yeah, but that's been a problem pre-Jose Mourinho. You know, Harry Kane gets injured, who do they call on? And who wants to go to the club and just be sat on the bench for the majority? Um, A little bit more of an opening, though, if he's going to be out for some time. Um, I watched Spurs against Norwich at Carrow Road, because I was working on that match, And I was in shock that Norwich, who are currently bottom of the Premier League table, ran that midfield. Uh, Buendia was easily a standout player in midfield. And they may have, as Jose Mourinho has done and got the best out of Ali by moving him forward, what you've created is a gap behind. So, yes, attacking-wise, when Kane's fit, you've got Kane, Ali, Mora, some great options, Son when he's not suspended. Um, But behind that, there's a real vacuum and they really need to be going in the January transfer window, I believe, to get a player like the, the Buendia, someone who can dominate the ball, that everything goes through them. You're not seeing that when you watch Spurs at the moment.
3: This is a long-standing issue from Spurs since last season. So last season, Pochettino created what some people term sort of an air raid midfield. So basically get it to uh, Sissoko, who was going to shuttle the ball up to Eriksen as quickly as possible. So real verticality in the midfield. And then Ericsson now has dropped to a form, so he doesn't really work as a lockpick anymore. Zoko is reverted back to the old assault. so that shuttle isn't quite working. So you've got this huge gap on what used to be a fun plan B, which was Alderweireld or Vertonghen's long diagonal balls up to Deli Alli or, or Harry Kane, has now become their primary method of attack. It is especially concerning the things Mourinho is saying about Ndombele. This is one of the more frustrating things about Mourinho is how he repeatedly dislikes players who don't want to play through injury for him and how he repeatedly praises players that hurt themselves by playing through injury going oh he played with one hamstring which is real toxic nonsense Um, and Dombele didn't want to play because he had a little strain Mourinho questioned his manhood or masculinity and whatnot so Dombele turns up to St. Mary's with a shaved head and gets injured after 25 minutes because he's trying to play through the pain barrier. It's all of Mourinho's bad tendencies coming to the fore immediately. I have no idea why Spurs thought the Mourinho they're going to bring in was the one that you know started at Chelsea instead of the one that ended at Chelsea and at Manchester United.
0: Might be uh, short of a key player soon too. Sky in Italy reporting that Inter have made contact over a potential deal for Christian Eriksen. Uh, this month. Elsewhere, uh, Nigel Pearson looks a bit like that PE teacher who called you a big girl's blouse in front of the whole class <laughs> back in 96. Uh, probably volunteers as a community support officer in his spare time. You know the fella. <laughs> did,
2: did you see uh, he ripped Mark Scott uh, apart in a post-match interview? And it was just classic Nigel Pearson of old where... I don't know why he bothered doing it. He said, you said this game was a must win. And then he went, oh, did I? I didn't say that. I didn't say it was a must win. Why? You just won the game. Why wouldn't you just say, yeah, OK. He said I
3: didn't say it was a must win. I said it was very important for us and yeah. it's very important for them. Yeah. so he said it was a must win <laughs> well he might not be able to
0: differentiate a journalist from a flightless bird but he can organise a football team Watford the one he's currently in charge of beat Wolves 2-1 at Vicarage Road not the first time he's fought off a pack of Wolves of course uh, <laughs> three wins in four for the Hornets now ended with ten men here we touched on it sort of briefly on Monday Michael but how's he been able to do this is it as simple as right I'm going to organise the defence there's got to be something more to it than that hasn't there
1: I think it was a big part of it to be honest when you look at their performances under Sanchez Flores who very much didn't do that despite that being the job he was brought in to do as I've said before I was surprised that Watford got so few points in the first few games of the season so I think this was I mean I'm surprised at the extent of the improvement but I think it was a decent job to take over because they were due an improvement I think really based upon their performances and I'm just quite pleased to see it because they've got so many good exciting players De Lufeu again was excellent here Ducouré is so good at getting into the box and, and finishing chances he seems to have uh, put some faith in Saar, who was inconsistent first uh, couple of months, but has been very dangerous recently. So yeah, it's been a really impressive performance actually, and and further complicates the the battle at the bottom because there's really quite a lot of teams involved in it now. Mm, yeah, they're just two points um, from safety
0: in, in terms of, of of your lot, Wolves, Lindsay. <laughs> yeah. Feels like a bit of a missed opportunity this, given that, that Chelsea dropped points and United lost, and other teams going for for the top four didn't get the results they were looking for. Is that is that? Top four, is that something you're realistically looking at? Or is it all about the Europa League from this this point on for Wolves?
2: I, I think they should focus on the Europa League. We're in it right now. Why not go as far as we can? And I, I truly believe that the the starting 11, first choice starting 11 for Wolves, can beat anybody on their day. So why not go all the way? Why not try and get as far as we can in that competition? And I don't think there's any danger because of the inconsistency of teams around us and big teams. You know, I'm looking towards Carl with Manchester United and other teams like Arsenal as well they've only just started this uplift under Arteta I think there are wobbles with those around us so I think we'll probably finish top 8 well that would be a fantastic achievement for this season went into the game with Watford and I actually thought we would lose this I did think we'd lose that match I think the 45 hour turnaround from Manchester City to Liverpool we've played two of the biggest teams in the league and then going to Watford we've always struggled against them anyway Uh, the way that they play when they're physical the way that they play when they've got someone like Nigel Pearson in charge Uh, and everyone knows what their jobs are I I did have that fear that we probably wouldn't get the result that we wanted but it was a shame not to get a draw I would have liked to have taken a point from Vicarage Road given what else happened um, around us in terms of the performance factor I thought Wolves weren't really at the races Uh, maybe that's something to do with the energy levels Um, the first half I think Watford were the much better team
0: All right, big win for Watford then, as we say, touching distance from safety. After this, we'll take a look at some of the other teams in and around them, as Andy Townsend might say. Everyone remembers that time you've had that peach of an accumulator looking good only for... Oh, and the keepers let it slip through his legs in the 94th minute. Or the right back has to pull on the gloves and face a penalty. Or Man United have again conceded a late equaliser. But with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker, you get a free
3: bet if one leg of your fourfold plus Acker lets you down. On all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds of 1-5 on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18+. Begumbleaware.org. On
4: Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms
0: everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. At the London Stadium, West Ham Wallet Bournemouth four 0 Carl, you were aghast at the reappointment of David Moyes. Would you like a spoon for this freshly baked humble pie, or is this just one quite bad team beating
3: another quite bad team? You can't keep getting away with this. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was that was that was much improved from from West Ham. Uh, a performance exemplified by Mark Noble's efforts in central midfield. West Ham have had a, a big gap in central midfield for a while, and, and it's sort of they live by Noble and sort of fall by him as well, but. Uh, yeah.
2: So I heard that Pellegrini had ran them into the ground. That they, in terms of fitness, I don't know how much truth there is in this because I couldn't get it from an official source, but that the players were knackered, <laughs> um, and that David Moyes has gone in straight away and given them a little bit of rest time um, and really focused on the mental side rather than the physical. And I don't know whether any of you can can expand on that.
3: There are quite a few teams in the Premier League who are confusing a high press for simply run loads and I think West Ham did have a dis- kind of disorganised not quite a, a collective press but sort of two or three individuals will go up in pods and then it sort of all fall apart because someone could beat him off a dribble so it, there's probably enough smoke for me to call a fire there regarding David Moyes um, can we talk about Bournemouth
0: yeah, so um, I'm not going to say much about Bournemouth because I keep getting a lot of stick for saying I think they might get relegated and, and they're in the relegation zone. Um, is, but is, you said
2: it on Twitter anyway.
0: Yeah, <laughs> quite, yeah. Um, is, is Eddie Howe like, actually under pressure, do you think, Michael? I mean, it'd be difficult to to sack him from Bournemouth. it just feel very weird.
1: Yeah, I don't think he is, actually. I think he probably will keep his job, uh, whatever. But there are some problems there. I think they're very passive without the ball more than anything else. I mean, it's interesting that... Um, both West Ham and Arsenal. I know Arsenal didn't beat Bournemouth, but first game under manager, they're the side to play Bournemouth. Um, no, they're a, a terrible side, but uh, yeah, they just give you quite a lot of time on the ball. So Bournemouth are a bit of a Manchester United in the sense that they've picked up seven points from the last 33 available, and those points have come against Manchester United, Chelsea and Arsenal. So when it comes to these big uh, relegation six-pointers, which they are very much now a part of, they are... Losing, um, and other sides are picking up points, so that's always going to be a problem.
3: Their forwards are really, really uh, shot timid, so they don't necessarily take a large amount of shots. But the idea for Bournemouth is always neat passing moves. By the time you do get a shot off, it's from a very, very good position. Um, what's happened is those shots have sort of fallen off. So they're, they're, I think they're performing two or three goals below their xG. You look at what Dominic Solanke is not only. Goal-shy and shot-timid. But he also seems to be in this weird vortex where he's bad and unlucky. His effort going off against the post against West Ham. Callum Wilson normally used to fish him out of it. And Hasn't like
0: scored th- since September. Exactly.
3: Like Josh King, um, uncertain finishing as well. And Dominic Solanke, again, a really goal-shy person. So it's sort of, oh, well, normally he used to be backed up by eventually... Steve Cook or whoever securing that defence and keeping them going forward. But now if all the goals have dried up, it, it is concerning.
2: Ryan Fraser's been quiet as well. Um, we were talking about him wax lyrical last season in terms of what a form player he was. But his performances have dropped. And you look at relying on Harry Wilson free kicks and that's not going to keep you in the league.
0: Yeah, and I, I know the worry I'd have about Bournemouth is that say they sell Nathan Ake for £40 million pounds this month, you wouldn't back them to reinvest that sensibly because their transfer record's pretty poor.
1: Yeah, almost on the sly. They don't really get much attention for spending money, but you do look at some of those players like, wow, that's a hell of a lot. Uh, Can say something about West Ham? Mm. I, I just don't really understand like the level of disrespect towards David Moyes. Like Two seasons ago, everyone was absolutely exasperated when he was appointed, and he kept them up. They were in the relegation zone. I think they finished 13th or 14th. I don't think they played great football, but he did the job really well. And he did do some good things. He completely rejuvenated Arnautovic, who was a very inconsistent winger, and he turned him into pretty much a great all-round forward. I think he was one of the best players in the Premier League at his, uh, you know, at his peak during, during that season. And much as I don't really have any faith whatsoever or any personal like for the West Ham uh, directors, I got some kind of sympathy with him, uh, with them in this situation because they appointed Moyes when they did two years ago, and he kept them up. I think it was perfectly reasonable to say, okay, Moyes probably isn't the kind of manager we want long term to take the club forward, play good football. So they got in Pellegrini, who'd won the Premier League, you know, did a decent job, well, a very good job actually at Real Madrid. I think he performed much worse than could have been reasonably expected. And they, now they find themselves in a similar situation, and they go for a guy who's done the job that they need them to do, and because. You know, of some previous negotiations, Moyes was never going to accept just a six-month contract this time around. So they had to go for an eighteen-month contract. Whether he'll serve that, we'll have to wait and see. But
2: it, it, it falls, falls into that unfashionable, doesn't it? Unfashionable yeah, I mean,
1: for... I completely understand. You look at it as a whole, appointing Moyes twice within two years does look ludicrous. But when you look at it step by step, I can completely understand why they've made the decisions along the way. Yeah, producer Charlie pointing out that he's earned his first back-to-back wins as West Ham manager,
0: albeit. 18 months uh, (laughs) apart. (laughs) But
2: the West Ham squad... (laughs) is such a talented bunch of players if he can do what he did with Arnautovic and he can do that with Anderson or Lanzini who've both gone quiet then I really wouldn't worry for West Ham because the calibre of player they've got in that team should keep them up Um, and if Alair can start scoring more goals they're they're laughing really I mean you look at teams around them that are in this relegation fight and you've got many more teams like the ones that we've touched on like Bournemouth that just can't score goals but you, you look at the quality in that squad and I also thought Watford had a lot of quality in their squad that they would survive because of the personnel they have.
1: I think the key player for him is Snodgrass. I think he's really, really useful. He's industrious when he needs to be. He's got great technical quality. I think he's one of the best set-piece deliveries in the Premier League. He scored a lovely goal. Was it Boxendale 28, the left-footed curler? He's, I always
2: have to laugh, though. The owners, when they were, they were really brutal towards him, weren't they, when, when he got signed? Do you remember?
0: Well, he's put down the KFC and, and Haribo, hasn't he, since his loan spell, and I think that's, that's definitely, um, definitely helped him. i just not cricket as tweeted as asking who do the panel think are going down? Who's your three at the moment, Michael? Uh, I think we've all got
3: Norwich, haven't we? It's tricky, isn't it? He's it, 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 kind of it was Aston, Norwich, Aston Villa, Watford, and one more. Norwich, Aston Villa, and I have no idea who the third one's going to be. So, I'm going to say Watford, just because. Sorry, sorry Watford fans. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, can you add any more to that? I,
2: well, I would go Norwich and Aston Villa to go down, and then I think it's going to be between Bournemouth and Burnley. And not many people are talking about Burnley, but they are plummeting. And they're losing against teams that they they really should be beating around them. Um, And this so-called fortress of Turf Moor is no more.
0: All right, well, let's come on to that game then. Burnley 1, Villa 2. There was a VAR thing. Listen to Monday's show if you want to hear VAR chat. I can't go through that again. (laughs) Neither can poor producer Charlie. Uh, Jack Grealish made one and scored one here. Uh, Michael, who are the biggest one-man team? Villa
1: and Grealish or Southampton and Ings? Probably still Southampton and Ings over the course of the season, or I think with uh, McGinn's injury, Grealish's importance is even more. I mean, I think he's been absolutely brilliant the last few months. First two or three months, I think he was a little bit on the fringes of games, wasn't really influencing him. But he's just a, I mean, he can run a game, which isn't really something we say about players now but he's got that kind of old school English number eight feel to him obviously he's been playing on the left a little bit as well well most of the time playing on the left which he doesn't like but I think has adjusted really well to that role Has changed his game a bit added a goal threat so yeah I, I think he's been one of the best players in the Premier League for the last two or three months and I'm increasingly hopeful that Gareth Southgate will give him some kind of opportunity maybe not in midfield but as a kind of uh, plan b in the front three Should have been a really good day for Villa. Unfortunately, marred by knee injuries for
0: Tom Heaton and Wesley. Wesley's might be serious. Um, Lindsay, just to back up what you were saying, our man Daniel Story tweeting, Burnley have had 10 shots on target since the end of November. Uh, So Ashley Barnes might have to wait a little while longer for his Austria cap. You can see them really getting sucked in and being in big trouble second half of the season Then,
2: yeah mainly because I think they used to rely on teams being quite fearful going to turf more and I don't think that they are anymore Um, they haven't got that that home swagger that they used to have Um, they used to be so difficult to break down but there are so many players like Tarkovsky and different and me that I really rate but just something's not quite clicking at Burnley at the moment
0: uh, I always feel a bit sorry for Sean Dyche, Carl. I know he's not everybody's cup of tea, but he gets no backing from his chairman in terms of finances. And you look at that squad and think you could do with three new players. Difficult to get them in January, but you just think you ain't going to get them anyway because they don't spend any money.
3: It's really hard because you know, Sean Dyche prefers buying British and or slightly continental players, so that it's quite hard to improve your squad and keep the chemistry in the way Sean Dyche seems to want it. The Danny Drinkwater experiment has sort of failed and I think he'll be returning to Chelsea soon so they, they are in an awkward position Sean Dyche has repeatedly outperformed all of the spreadsheet stuff that XG people like me like to look at and we've always gone he either found a, a new way of playing football that is bizarre no one can quite figure out or he's a wizard um, and now it's time to see if he's still got some magic left down at the Amex, meanwhile,
0: Ali Reza Jahanbash prompted a million social media wags to tweet, Goal of the Decade, lol, crying face emoji, slightly tilted to one side, crying face emoji, applause emoji, praise emoji, hashtag 2020, hashtag HMY, etc., uh, after he scored a stunning overhead kick to cancel out Cesar as Early opener. Uh, in case you weren't aware, Chelsea are inconsistent. This is only their third draw of the season, though, and their they're first away from home. Uh, I covered this game. It was rubbish. It was a really, really, really dull game of football, but Chelsea would be really annoyed that they threw it away essentially at the end against a, a Brighton team who looked pretty
3: toothless for much of the game. Early kickoff on New Year's Day. No one got enough sleep anymore. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> And especially because they are relying slightly more on their away form at the moment because teams are going and having so much success at Stamford Bridge and sitting deep and they need to work out ways of breaking down opposition at home Uh, so their away form is really important and uh, the one thing about, about sticking with youth, which is very admirable from Frank, but you actually need that experience sometimes to kill games off and that's the thing that they're not doing at the moment when they've got that chance to get that second or even third goal in some cases. They haven't been doing it and then that's really bitten them.
0: Yeah, although Kovacic came off the bench and had a bit of a stinker here so um, maybe he was slightly culpable. Um, Michael, nobody mentioned Brighton in our relegation chat, pottering along quite nicely under Graham but they're only four points above the relegation zone. Are we saying that they're nailed on to survive?
1: No, I think they're involved. I think there's lots of teams involved. Um, I do think they'll be okay because I think they have a good chance of picking up points against teams you don't expect they often have very good game plans against the opposition um, I think Potter is just a really good manager and I think he has the balance right perfectly between having a default style and also adjusting your formation to, to kind of expose some weaknesses in the opposition there was a goal kick they got in like the 88th minute and one at heavy pressure and still played out from the back and wanted to create chances from that and I think actually did create a chance from that and I think that summarizes how much they've bought into the way Potter plays I know it's halfway through the season um, you know, it's probably too late to be saying, hasn't he changed their style of play? But they really were the most kind of turgid team in the Premier League last year. So, for them to be in this, you know, a pretty favourable position with a completely different style of football, I think, is uh, is really impressive.
0: You're listening to the Totally Football Show. Newcastle on the slide, beaten 3-0 at home by Leicester. Uh, Regular listeners aware of my love for Steve so To see him anguished as four of his players went off injured and his side played with ten men. for virtually the whole second half broke my heart. He said, I was concerned, you know, about the number of games. We could have lost five players, today. Three of them are hamstrings, one of them's a groin. DeAndre Yedlin's broke his hand, we think. And will support us, tried, but we didn't have the bodies. And five points above the relegation zone (laughs) then, Lindsay. Um, Is that enough of a gap to mean that Mike Ashley would just say, right, you get your standard one loan signing this month. You're not having anybody else, even though half the squad is injured. Uh, That's really dangerous, if that's the case.
2: I think that's the only thing we can guarantee in 2020, isn't it? Is that uh, Mike Ashley won't dust off his wallet too much. Um, Newcastle United, interesting because... I think Steve Bruce, when he gets them playing that organised football that that we're so used to him doing, he drills teams so that they they, they all know their jobs. But they haven't really got that many flair players within that team and injuries would concern me. So I I would really want to know how bad these injuries are, the latest injuries are because I can't see there being too much depth left in this squad and they need to either bring some more youth players through that are good enough or Mike Ashley needs to spend but I don't think he will. I mean, he'll probably like you say give them one signing. Um and you talk about goals and Newcastle you don't really know there isn't an out and out goal scorer there at the moment that would be a big concern
0: Um, Steve Bruce a common moan Carl, from managers at this time of year about the amount of games but he was really illustrated his point perfectly in this game with you know Lejeune pulling his hamstring etc I don't see why we have the middle round of games the 28th of December ones that's always seemed quite ludicrous to me surely we could just push that a little later back and give these top level athletes the chance to recover to the point where they can perform to the top level.
3: Because also the the quality of the games in this period has been a lot lower because players are sort of playing at 65%, 75% if not implicitly to preserve themselves because they just can't run anymore and this, it does happen all the time. You get these hamstring injuries, you get these players who are going to be up between three and six months because you just snaps and hamstrings are always, they're a real peculiar muscle as well because they never grow back at the same length. So, compound hamstring injuries on the same player for two or three times, you, you can just see their performances fall off because they've just got 60-70% to 70% of their leg left. Shout out to Michael
1: Ewing. And I think it's, it's particularly odd now we have this slightly staggered winter break. Surely it would be more beneficial to not have that winter break and just not have these games if that makes sense. You're better off playing every week than you are playing three times in a week and then having two weeks off I would suspect. Uh, yeah, I find it very odd and And we saw it in the Arsenal game as well. Arsenal made two subs and then uh, Guendouzi was coming on and they couldn't work out whether it was Lacazette or Torreira coming off because they both seemed to be injured. I mean, it's farcical really when teams are not finishing the game with 11 men because there's so many players going down injured. Mm.
0: But we should uh, give Leicester some praise, particularly their squad depth seems to have come to the fore over this Christmas period. Uh, They're 14 points clear of fifth place. They're definitely going to be playing Champions League football next year,
1: surely. Yeah, despite a difficult couple of results, or there's difficult games really over the Christmas period, they're still miles clear of fifth place, as you say. And yeah, they've got some, you know, old-timers lurking around. Christian Fuchs played here. We haven't seen him too much this season. A couple of brilliant goals in the game. I mean, Madison's. To hit that with your weaker foot from the edge of the box was just sensational. And, and uh, Hamza Chowdhury, a kind of different kind of long-ranger, but even more accurate. Yeah, brilliant goals. You're a big Chowdhury fan, aren't you, Lindsay? Mm,
2: yeah, he's got the best hair in football. <laughs> yeah, um, that's indisputable. Yeah, I would I would have a kip on, on his hair if he was on the bench next to me. It's
3: <laughs> remarkable just how clinical this Leicester team is. Their forwards are taking shots that you wouldn't normally advise. And they're taking it with such confidence and they are finishing top bins all the time. You're going, this is testament to Brendan Rodgers' coaching. he's Apparently, when he came into Leicester, he basically realised when they were training, the, the pace of their training was just a little bit too too slow, so he decided to kick it up a notch. And they are playing in a weird, reminiscent style of that Liverpool season. So sort of, Madison's slowly turning himself into Coutinho, if you remember that. So, you know, he's getting this all, I'm going to cut inside and hit in my left foot, hooray. They are going to routinely beat teams four or five or six nil because they don't have the same commitments like a Liverpool or Manchester City. They don't have the same thing where they go, all right, we're 3 nil up. Let's just chill out and grind out the next 20 minutes. They're going to, no, let's go for it. Let's really take our free kicks, really, really try and keep counterattacking, which makes them a ridiculous threat when it comes to scoring goals.
0: Uh, also New Year's Day, Norwich and Palestry won one after a late Connor Wickham equaliser and Manchester City gave thanks to jay after his brace saw them past the spirited Everton side. Anyone got anything to say on either of those games?
3: Manchester City going for a back three was particularly interesting. Um, so it's sort of, it's weird to it sort of drop Fernandinho deeper into this sweeper role. And now Rodri was in the, it was on the right-hand side of the three, I want to say. Um, and he was sort of building it from the back, which is this sort of rejigged, it's going to be really interesting watching Manchester City because they've sort of declared they're not going to go for the league. So now you're going to see Pep really, really tinker and really experiment and probably improve two or three of the fringe players at City to, to a point where, like, oh, yeah, we forgot Riyad Myers is secretly one of the most expensive players in the world and also really, really, really good at football, which I want to enjoy.
2: <laughs> John Stones has been back in training at City um, lots of people wondering why he wasn't even on the bench for this last match. Uh, wondering whether he, he's somebody that Pep's backing anymore. I, uh, and that's based on purely nothing. But it, just in the case of going to that back three, you just wonder whether he's starting to try different, different way of playing now. Uh, and maybe that's going to squeeze John Stones out a little bit. Because I don't know whether it was match fitness or what, but you did expect him to be on the bench. I think...
3: Stones is higher in seniority to Otamendi right now because if I'm Otamendi I'm going hang on why are you playing a back three with all that and I'm still on the bench oh no but
2: so you yeah. think it was match fitness
3: yeah I think it's match fitness I think John Stones will come back because he does offer I don't like saying concentrational lapses but he is more switched on than Otamendi and I think he does offer loads more uh, bring the ball out of the fence and stepping into midfield. If anything, if they are going to persist with a back through, I think Stones will be one to play on the right.
2: Given the vast talents of Pep Guardiola as a coach, there, you think that he could teach out just to stand up a bit more. <laughs> just to stand up.
3: <laughs>
1: uh, Michael, anything to add? I just thought Norwich were really good. I'm kind of sad they didn't win this because they played some brilliant football. The whole season really has been about how much Buindi and Cantwell get on the ball. I know it's an obvious thing to say, but when they do, they're sensationally good. Um, and I think really it's it's you could probably say this for a few games, but this was the game where I felt, OK, that is Norwich down. Because Crystal Palace at home is the kind of game you have to win. Um, and yeah, to, to not win having played so well I think is quite disastrous for them. Which mm, we'll see. Uh, the round
0: finishes off with Liverpool welcoming Sheffield United to Anfield either tonight or in the past, depending on when you're listening. Next on our agenda, it's the FA Cup third round.
4: You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power.
0: All FA Cup third round games kicking off one minute late to encourage fans to take a minute to think about looking after their mental health as part of the Heads Up campaign well done the FA also there will be VAR but only at Premier League grounds not so well done the FA uh, let's have a look at some of the standout ties Wolves against Manchester United 5.31 on Saturday repeat of last year's quarterfinal Wolves won that 1-2-1 one, one. Lindsay you're going to be there What's, I am whereabouts on the priority list for Wolves is this competition this season
2: it's higher than expected, I think, because of the draw, because it's Manchester United. I think this will be the sort of lift that everybody wants uh, at this point in the season as well, to beat Manchester United. Did so last year, um, and the the confidence that we got from those performances trickled on for, for the rest of, uh, of that month. So it would be great for January football for Wolves for them to beat Manchester United in this round. Um, and most importantly, not have it be a match where... You're getting those injuries, or you're potentially having to play longer and have lots of added time. This is something that you want done in ninety minutes. Put that Wolves team out that that have shown that they can destroy Manchester United's defence in the past, and j- just get a couple of goals, and and hopefully um, have a, a little bit more breathing space than we did against Watford. Wolves have
3: consistently had the beating of this Manchester United side, even going back to last season when Mourinho was in charge, because they are the perfect team to beat this version of Manchester United they can sit deep they are very very good and adept at setting midfield traps which Manchester United are horribly naive to and then when they break they can break at great pace because they've got players like Traore. Treo complete 15 dribbles against Watford which is one of those sort of, oh, that's a fun stat and then you really think about it and it's ridiculous how many dribbles that guy is doing um, yeah I very much think Wolves are going to win we, we know Wolves can beat United so we can just fast forward even all right, done. 3-0 to no, <laughs> <laughs> Um, Liverpool versus
0: Everton, one minute past four on Sunday. Michael, it's at Anfield, but I make Everton favourites for this game because I think it'll be a very, very patched up, not quite League Cup quarter final Liverpool side, but but not far off. And Carlo Ancelotti's got decent results against Liverpool with Napoli in recent seasons.
1: Yeah, I must say I don't share your call. Everton at Anfield, I just can never pass <laughs> That's true, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we talked about the... Fixture congestion over Christmas, and really, it's the FA Cup that suffers because I don't think all these managers don't care about the FA Cup; they just have to give these players a break. And it's the FA Cup, really, that uh, that suffers. So, yeah, it's it's tough to predict some of these games, particularly Liverpool Everton, like you say. But uh, yeah, I, I think uh, Klopp will be rotating heavily, like you say. So maybe a, a good game. That's probably the one I'm most looking forward to, to be honest, uh, just because it's a big fixture and it uh, was like a Merseyside derby. So you're probably not feeling the same about Sheffield United versus AFC <laughs> Fylde, which is on Sunday. Well, weirdly I am because I saw Fylde in the last round against Kingstonian and uh, that was quite an interesting game because it was 5th tier against 7th tier and you think, well, Kingstonian quite a good footballing side, you know, how are they going to be outplayed? But they weren't Fylde, were not fylde we just really good at the basics. It was quite a fascinating demonstration and how they kind of Horrible little things in football are really important, so I'm kind of intrigued to see how they fare against one of the best footballing sides in the country, albeit again, you know, probably a likely very rotated side from Chris Wilder. Uh, yeah, Jim Bentley,
0: the AFC file manager, who was long-term Morgan boss, but but switched midway through the season. Sheffield United were beaten by Barnet of the non-league last season. Chris Wilder will probably make some some changes. Uh, fun fact: filed chairman David Haythorn-Waite is a major backer and campaigner for Brexit. Uh, elsewhere, Chelsea against Forest. Who put this in the running order? Oh, it was me. Um, sort of. On paper you think kind of romantic cup tie team who've been out of the Premier League for 20 years against team who often win the FA Cup but realistically Carl it's Chelsea reserves against Forest reserves. Chelsea trying to get in the top four Forest trying to get promoted this is not a particularly significant fixture for either.
3: I'm going to enjoy watching Chelsea reserves going to expect either a run out for Giroud or Bashoi uh, which I'm fascinated by both of those players and the you know various attempts at hold up play Drew amazing at it bashwai I would like to see glimmers of him trying it more because I'm invested in that young man. I think he's a very nice boy. Uh, yeah, I, I wanna see, I'm always interested in seeing more of Chelsea's youth players and seeing what play, what players will, will come through and also see how this game will possibly have knock on effects to Chelsea's transfer window because I think they're in a the market for a striker. So again, whoever starts out of Julian Bashua will be will be pretty telling for me.
0: It's uh, yes, the third time they've played in cup competitions in the last three seasons, uh, Lindsay. I kind of had my fingers burned by going to the Emirates to see Forrest in the League Cup earlier this season where we didn't play a striker and lost 5-0. Um, can you make any case for oh, an upset in this game?
2: No, I don't think so because I, I actually think Chelsea uh, in terms of reserves are much stronger and I, I do think someone like Giroud will get a goal in this match um, and I think Nottingham Forest have got other things on their mind at the moment, so no, I don't. I think that'll be quite straightforward. Home win, um, Leicester City though. Talk about depth in squad. They're the ones that we, we were saying about how impressed we've been with Brendan Rodgers' rotation. I think if I was Wigan Athletic, I'd be a bit coy this weekend. I think they're probably going to have a, the toughest challenge.
0: All right, that's a good one to pick out, Carl. Any other
3: games that, that stick out from the draw for you? Uh, Crystal Palace Derby County looks. Is it a giant killing if it's just simply one league below? But I think Derby might pull a little bit of a shock there against Palace Reserves. Wayne or Rooney, of course. Might of play. course. Yes. 32. <laughs>
1: Michael? Uh, if I had to pick out a giant killing, probably Rochdale against Newcastle. Rochdale gave Manchester United a fright earlier in the season. Newcastle, as we've mentioned, have injury problems. And are dreadful in cups. <laughs> are dreadful in cups. And I don't think have much outside the first 11. So if they do rotate, I think it could be a pretty... Ropy sides, so yeah, I'd go to spot them for a giant killing. All
2: and right. I, I think Peterborough could beat Burnley at Turf Moor. The confidence levels at Burnley are quite low at the moment, and Peterborough love scoring. They've got plenty of options there in attack. Lincoln um, won
0: there a few years ago, didn't yeah. they? In, uh, in the cup, you never know. I'm doing Brighton versus Sheffield Wednesday. Seagulls versus owls in the animal kingdom. <laughs> I think owls have. Just about got the edge there because of talons rather than kind of flat feet. Do you think that would be accurate?
2: 360 vision.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm. But I mean, if it takes place in the day, then you'd probably back in the seagulls because the owl would be sleepy. Just about.
3: And also, Brighton seagulls are massive now. My goodness.
2: I think Seagulls win on this occasion purely because it's at the Amex, I'm afraid.
3: Okay. Uh, Arsenal play Leeds on Monday
0: night, so we won't talk about that particularly. But it'd be interesting if Eddie Nketiah is recalled by Arsenal,
1: as we (laughs) expect. He might actually play against Leeds in that game. Yeah, that would be very interesting. And uh, yeah, I think it's quite an interesting managerial matchup between one of uh, Pep Guardiola's coaching idols and one of Pep uh, Guardiola's coaching offspring, if you like,
0: Uh, Coming soon, some other stuff. But first, let's get some odds on what's going down this weekend. Here's producer Ben with Paddy Power.
4: Listeners, it's 2020. The Premier League is done for the moment. It's all about the FA Cup. And I've got Lee Price on the line from Paddy Power to talk about it. Lee, the big, big fixture of this third round is a Merseyside derby. Liverpool versus Everton. Can Everton get a result here?
5: Hmm, interesting this one, because if you're prescribing attitudes towards the FA Cup, you could argue that Carlo Ancelotti will be prioritising it more than Jürgen Klopp will. But I'm not sure I buy that, and nor do our traders. They make Liverpool 1-2 to to win this game, with Everton 7-2, to the same price as the draw.
4: All right, let's talk about some potential giant killings then, Lee. Uh, Chelsea versus Nottingham Forest.
5: Well, I'm not saying that Forest have no chance. No way. I wouldn't be so disrespectful. I'm saying they have around a 6% chance, according to our odds anyway. The Tricky Trees might not be so tricky in this instance as they're priced 14-1 to 1 to provide a cup set. Chelsea are 1-12, that's huge. A draw is 8-1. to 1.
4: OK, over to Vicarage Road then. Watford, who got to the final last season, are at home to Tranmere Rovers. What's going to happen here?
5: I suppose the cup is a very slight complication for Nigel Pearson in his rescue mission, though... I doubt he'll see it that way. If he can fight off a pack of Wolves single-handedly, he should have no fears about Rovers. And it's a good chance to get the feel-good factor going for Watford, who are 1-5 to to win this game. We don't say that a lot this season. are 10-1, the draw is 9-2. to And if I was a Bournemouth fan, Lee,
4: I would be very nervous when Luton come to visit at the Vitality Stadium. What say you?
5: Right, out of sorts Bournemouth, plus a Championship side in the Cup, sounds like the perfect recipe for a classic Cup set. But I think Luton Town might be the wrong ingredient. They're already massively up against it in their own battle for survival. There are joint favourites to go down from the championship, and we price the hat as 13-2 to win this one. Bournemouth are odds on to win at 4-11, and the draw is seven to two.
0: You can find out these odds and more at Paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply and when the fund stops, stop. A bit of news from the Championship New Year's Day games there. Saw the meeting of the top two at the Hawthorns. It finished honors even. West Brom and Leeds drew one-all. Marcelo Bielsa confirming afterwards, as we said, that Eddie Nketiah is heading back to Arsenal. Meanwhile, Hall manager Grant McCann claims he wasn't allowed to park in the Sheffield Wednesday car park ahead <laughs> of his side's win there. He also said that the plugs were switched off so they couldn't play any music. It's quite easy to switch a plug back on, was my immediate thought on that. Uh, <laughs> I assume he means from the, like, the, from the main Yeah, drum. you think so, but okay, the way he phrased so. it. Uh, Gary Monk, the Sheffield Wednesday <laughs> boss, responded with, I don't hand out the parking spaces, it's nothing to do with me, I have to park 50 minutes. Minutes away from the ground. Uh, Lindsay, you were at the Kai Prince Foundation Stadium CQPR QPR destroy Cardiff wow. 6-1.
2: Nobody saw that coming. No one saw that coming. At uh,
0: least of all Neil Harris because they've actually been uh, all right under him.
2: Yeah, Kai. well, you went into that match and you saw that, that Cardiff, if they'd have won, it would have really carried on that push for the playoffs, um, which is what they were wanting. Um, and having seen... QPR against Hull where they dominated possession but did nothing really with it um and then ended up losing that match. I just don't know where that, that suddenly came from. But Wells and Samuel was brilliant in, in the match, I have to say. Um, they've got some really lovely players. Um, Amos caught my attention, Elias Chair for QPR. But when it clicks and it works and it flows, um, that's the sort of result that you can get. And they are a bit of an anomaly, aren't they, in West London? But it was definitely a, a performance for the home fans to savour.
0: And they've got Joe Lumley in goal and they're absolutely fabulous. He got an so assist.
2: <laughs> he got an assist.
0: That's not good for Cardiff, is it? I, I, I feel for those Cardiff supporters hungover who woke up in the morning and were like, oh, we've got tickets, so I suppose we might as well go to the game. I went to Newcastle when I was 15 to see Forrest uh, get absolutely destroyed and I was hung over then and I shouldn't have been because I was 15 and my mum took me to the ground to get the coach and I had to pretend that I'd eaten a bad bacon sandwich which was why we had to keep stopping for me to be sick. Um, so that wasn't very mm-hmm. much fun. Mark, you ever done a ridiculous away day only to come back empty-handed?
3: Yeah,
1: but I'm trying to think of one where, where we lost. I don't think there are many. That's the actually. thing
0: about being a Kingstonian fan, isn't it?
1: It's just victory all the time. I can only think of... Memorable wins on long trips, I'm afraid. Sorry, okay, fine.
2: All of my uh, in terms of Wolves, it's just that I always see them lose at Wembley. Every time oh, I go oh. to Wembley, I see them lose. <laughs> oh
3: no, <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, there's lots more EFL chat by the way on this week's Totally Football League show. Uh, Lindsay, the WSL resumes after their winter break yeah. this weekend, so the offside rule will be back on Monday,
2: and I'm sure there will be a Sam Kerr theme to do with that everyone's really interested to see how she does for Chelsea
0: how big is that for the league to have got her
2: huge it's massive it could be a complete game changer in terms of the transfer windows in WSL in terms of the title race this season there are so many permutating factors to this Sam Kerr signing Um, and I'm really excited to see whether she starts as she left off um, in Australia, because she's a goal-scoring machine. Uh, finally,
0: in Scotland, Ryan Christie facing a two-game ban for grabbing Alfredo Morelos by the particulars. Um, two-game ban. Producer Charlie positing that maybe they decided one game per testicle <laughs> as to why they why they banned him. Uh, ironically. Christy needed groin surgery after a clash with morelos so there you go that, that, that's karma for you anyway many thanks to Lindsay, to michael and to carl we're back first thing on monday morning james back in charge daniel story will be on board as will emma saunders and me sorry do join us then if you can bye for now